everybody, and welcome to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. Today, I am sincerely thrilled to be joined by the comedian, actor, writer, podcaster, and noted baseball fan, River Butcher. And before we go, I'll tell you real quick about my desperate desire to step in as the school guidance counselor at Euphoria High, the most dangerous place for teenagers in the entire United States of America. You may have seen today's co-host back in the CISO days, R.A.P. CISO, on their show Take My Wife, or heard his new comedy album Pull Yourself Up By Your Bootleg. He hosts the Three Swings Baseball podcast. You can watch his new stand-up special, A Different Kind of Dude, starting, drumroll please, today. Um, And you can locate that on Comedy Central's YouTube channel, so check it out. River, is there anything else we need to know about you? And should I have put baseball fan higher on that list? (laughs) What's up, Jordan? Great to see you. Hello, hello. (laughs) I think think that was right where it needs to be. It's become a, a a large portion of my identity. Right. <laughs> it's a big part of my life. <laughs> well, welcome to the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Now, I'm excited to have you specifically because you're you. wonderful at what you do. I enjoy your work. Thank you're you. You're a very, very nice. enjoyable, like, saving grace kind of presence on the internet, which you can't <laughs> say about everybody. Like, <laughs> sure. good, decent. I mean, I've made my mistakes, but I appreciate yes, that. Yes, of course, of course. <laughs> But it's like a, it's a place where it's like, you know where I'm not going to find toxic fandom bullshit is from River Butcher. So <laughs> I think, thank God yeah. for that. I mean, it's been I've been on Twitter since 2007. I mean, I've been on it since it started. I was just on it because I was super. In, I've just always been into the Internet. <laughs> You're an early adopter. <laughs> an early adopter of the Internet. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I've been on it for way too long. And so it's definitely been I, I actually really, truly appreciate you saying yeah, that. Yeah. That's a very nice thing well, to say. Well, we are we're talking about a seminal film today. We're talking about a, an, a landmark of cinema. We are talking about. That's right. Back to the future. Marty. Yeah, specifically <laughs> Marty George McFly. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what Back to the Future is about for those coming late to the game? Sure. So Back to the Future is a movie about Marty McFly, a 17-year-old California teen uh, who is inexplicably friends with a old <laughs> elderly scientist slash inventor. So eccentric. Who, uh, <laughs> yeah, very, uh, who, to make a long story short, uh, has invented a time machine, which is made out of a DeLorean, which for those of you born after 1995 was a fancy car <laughs> that was made for like three years yeah. um, by uh, a dude who was high on coke. <laughs> My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. And he uh, mistakenly time travels back to 1955, which also happens to be the year both of his parents were 17, so he's hanging out with his parents in high school. Look at this picture. It's my brother, my sister, and me. Look at her sweatshirt, Doc. Class of 1984. Pretty mediocre photographic fakery. They cut off your brother's hair. And because of his falling in the lap of his mom, uh, he diverts her romantic attention from his father and then has to uh, essentially get them back together so that he is born. Yeah. So he doesn't <laughs> get erased. He from will time. never exist. Erased <laughs> from existence. Let me see that photograph again of your brother. Just as I thought. This proves my theory. Look at your brother. His head's gone. It's like it's like it's been erased. 
erased from existence. In researching for you coming on, I, I've heard you talk a lot about Back to the Future. Yeah. This is something I, and I, hey, I will talk about Jennifer's body if you give me mm. any forum. If that mm-hmm. forum sure. is a microphone on the side of the street, I'm going to do it. So I wanted to right. know what makes Back to the Future the evergreen topic you can, you continue enjoy going back to. What is the richness of that for you? I mean, why would I want to talk about Back to the Future for an hour? Not because I've talked about it a mm-hmm. lot, but because it's a movie that I have spent my entire life yeah. with. And is it something that I watch very often these days? Not really. How often do I think about that movie? At least once a week, which is kind of ridiculous. Well, and I was noticing it in, in reading print interviews with you, like having mm-hmm. nothing to do with Back to the Future. There was a point where you were like, well, as Doc Brown would say, and you quoted <laughs> Doc <laughs> sure, Brown. Yeah. I was like, just yeah. noticing how it was like just weaving its way through places where even where it wasn't was really interesting yeah. to to see knowing that I was going to be discussing it with you. Of course. I saw this. I feel like it was one of the first non-children's movies I I experienced. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, first movies I saw. I couldn't tell you what the very first movie I saw, but like I distinctly remember my mom renting this movie watching it the night before mm-hmm. a Friday night mm-hmm. and then watching it with me on Saturday morning. And I was like four or five years old. Was that old. like her was, review was... screening? Like, okay, we're going to watch this, but like, here's my screening watch. Yeah. Okay. Here's yeah. the thing. And she, and she did like tee it up. She was like, so there's going to be some language in this movie okay. that is like, not okay. <laughs> yeah. You know? And so I was like, okay. And that's all I really remember her like, which is interesting. Cause we'll talk about, you know, there's some other stuff. It has in a movie. patina of time on it in some ways. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, you know, the sort of like early action sequence with the, you know, the, the quote terrorists again in air yeah. quotes and stuff, uh, that sort of race scene, he's like saying, holy shit, holy shit. That was like a joke in my family of like my, it, this little four-year-old going, Hey mom is holy shit. A bad word. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I didn't know cause I'd never yeah. seen it before. So like, it's just sort of embedded in my psyche, this movie, mm-hmm. you know? And it's um, sensibility in certain yeah. ways. And I guess I just always felt, and, and in this way seen, a kinship with Marty. I think, number one, because I was an only child, which he's not, but it very much feels like, you know, he's on his own journey, like alone with his parents. Yeah. And I was an only child of divorced parents. So I very much like the beginning of that movie that shows this sort of like, I guess, like baseline dysfunction. Yeah, that you know, dinner sort of that like, dinner table scene is almost like there's such a as an adult watching it, you can feel the melancholy in it that like uh-huh. of course as a kid I wasn't picking up on, but I watch it now, I'm like, No. Man, that's tough for Marty. <laughs> like, we all make mistakes in life, children. Yeah, Damn. and it's but it's also just the life that he has, you know, and like he's not the, of course there's the conversation to be had that that movie is a bit um you know it's like a capitalist dream where yeah. like oh the goal is to have the car and the ha- but the thing is like they have the same house it, you know so that is my one little it's like yes they have a nicer car they have nicer mm-hmm. things it looks better blah 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 all this yeah. stuff but they actually love each other is the thing yeah. you know that is ultimately it is dressed up with some stuff that i don't necessarily agree with but you know now i'm an adult and like i'm happy that each of my parents is they did what they needed yes. to do. But as a kid, you're, there was a fantasy for me in, oh, if I could just get a time machine, maybe I could go back in time <laughs> and I could like help my parents out, yeah. <laughs> you know, which is just like such a funny thing to experience as a four year old. As a four year old. Yeah. 
and not really realize it. Not really realize that that's what was going yeah, on. Yeah, to to grow up and understand that you couldn't, you didn't have language for it and you weren't expressing it, but you're like, oh my God, I know that feeling. Like, I can absolutely yeah. describe that feeling to you now and this is what mm-hmm. was happening inside me. Like, totally. That like, if I could just get that car, then I could go back and I there's something I could do. Mm-hmm. It's within my <laughs> means to do yeah. this. And I've gone through a lot of work to unwind all of that. (laughs) To not feel like that was my four-year-old responsibility. Yeah, it has no, I have no responsibility over that whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what was, you know, when you, when you're, you know, you're little and you're seeing Marty there, I thought it was a, an interesting thing I've heard you talk about is sort of the genderlessness of, of Marty McFly for you. And like, you're, I I heard you say like, obviously he's a, he's a guy like that's very, he's got the girlfriend (laughs) that he loves the thing I think of first when I think of this movie is honestly the unbelievably palpable horniness of Lorraine Bates <laughs> from yeah. Leah Thompson. It's still even now yeah, when I Leah watch Thompson it, it makes me bash incredible. In like I blush watching yeah, oh, yeah. her performance. I'm like Lorraine. Yeah, which is so. I, I mean, here's what here's something that I love about that movie because well, let me no, I'll just I'll just go for the second part first, <laughs> which is. And a reason why I wanted to continue talking about it is because, like, I watched it recently mm. and I could see all of it. it. Not that I didn't see them already, but I saw its flaws in a new yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. I saw, um, like, I think it's Bob Gale. It's one of the dudes that yeah. made it, right? I don't like the way he talks about his own film. And here, that's the thing about art is you can actually separate the art from the artist because there's more than one person making a movie. There's Leah Thompson performing it. There's the gaffers. There's like all these things. And like there was some Hulu documentary about the movie. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I started watching that and I just, he's like, yeah. So like, what if your mom's a slut? And I'm just like, whoa, like the way he's talking about it was just like so retrograde, you know? And I'm like, it makes complete sense to me, but I watch it now and I'm like, Leah Thompson's performance is so earnest. Yes. You know, it's so earnest and like also be a slut. I don't yeah. care. You know what I mean? But like that's him in a judgmental way. It's not like, oh yeah, she's a slut, which is yeah. great. Whatever. It's like very judgmental and from an old time. But to me, I'm like, it just, she performs it with such earnestness that it's just like, oh yeah, she's a real person. Yeah. She really did not become the cartoon that he's talking mm-hmm. about. You know, she is like the way she's like sneaking around is, I don't know. It's just so good. You know, it's just like, it's actually really grounded in like, oh yeah, this is how people Lorraine are. Lorraine Bates is so lived in. Yeah. She's really good in it. That's a great idea. I'd love to park. Huh. Marty, I'm almost 18 years old. It's not like I've never parked before. What? At a certain point, Bob Gale had very little to do with it. And that, Absolutely. that was Leah making her choices. Yeah, a hundred percent. And so like, yeah, like he didn't direct it. Mm-hmm. He was, you know what I mean? It's like, so I know it's hard to, and that phrase separating the art from the artist is like kind of loaded these yeah. days. And, and the thing is like, you have to do it every time. And sometimes you can't because mm-hmm. there are certain arts <laughs> that I can't, yeah. you know? Yeah. So each, each instance of that practice is different. So I just want to say that to anybody that's listening, that it's like, it's not a rubber stamp, mm-hmm. you know, like you can't just say like, well, separate the art from the yeah. artist there. Everything is fine. It's like each th- each time it's very different. Um, and then to get back to the sort of like genderlessness, it's interesting to me because my own experience of that has changed. Yeah. Because now I would say 
I think that still holds true. However, what I realize now looking back, the genderlessness to me of Marty McFly was because I was experiencing it from a position and an age yeah. and a time and a spirit of genderlessness. Cause because, and I'm not an expert. I'm just speaking of my own, my own experience of gender, transness, all this you stuff. You are an expert in your own personal experience. <laughs> That's right. Is that when we're talking about children, yeah. you know, and like a four-year-old, myself as a four-year-old, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about the world as boys and girls and boys and girls. It's like I was told yeah. that. And we're all told yeah. that. And it's an experience. It's a learned experience. Uh -huh. And I think we would do better to realize that kids are bringing us something that we've stopped thinking mm -hmm, about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because we've been told these things and we're so much further away from yeah. it. And it's not that all kids are genderless, but they're a little less gendered. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we put that on mm -hmm. them and we, we shuffle them into certain places. Yeah. And, and we add that to them as opposed to each person sort of gradually getting to where they want to be. So that's a long-winded way of saying to me, like when I saw that movie, I was, I saw myself as that character, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, some people would watch that movie and see themselves as Lorraine or Jennifer or, you know, whatever. And I mean, I just also saw myself as George, <laughs> you know, I just never, that's what's so wild when I, uh, you know, like finally began to accept myself just period was I like I even think about music I think about songs and things and I'm like oh man you you never like when you hear a woman singing about a man mm -hmm. you are not her yeah, yeah. <laughs> the song is being sung to yeah. you and that's just always been my perspective that's just been my experience or if a man is singing about a woman that's you're singing the song I mean, that's why that's why Swifties can so easily queer Swifties can so easily graft uh, queerness onto Taylor Swift because they've head canoned mm -hmm. every longing song from Taylor Swift to being about Carly Kloss and their Taylor truthers. <laughs> and it's just, wow. Yeah. I'm learning so much in like 10 seconds. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Just let me know if you ever want a primer on Kaylers. Every once in a while I, I realize that this isn't common, the most common of knowledge. And I'm like, oh, well let mm -hmm. me get into this. So yeah. But yeah. then, so then has there been a sort of seesaw experience over the course of your life with where you see yourself with George and where you see yourself with Marty, is it, does it oscillate depending on, or are they just kind of both part of you all the time? I mean, yeah, I think they're both, they're my two genders, if <laughs> <Yeah>. you will. <laughs> or, or, you know, my, my son and my ascendant, I yes, guess. Yes, yes. Um, if not, not to be binary about everything, they're my poles <laughs> or whatever. Um, I mean, I definitely like, I just, I, and I realize this about myself too. And, I, you know, I'm on screen with like glasses on and stuff. Like I just was always like, I am the nerd guy like that. Like every, you know, uh, when I was a kid, that was everything had a nerdy guy, yeah. you know, everybody had an Egon, Absolutely. every grouping had an Egon. And that was just like the, the framing for every kid's yep. thing. And I, that was just always who I thought I was and wanted to be. And so in that way, I like really related to George. <laughs> You yeah, know, I, and I also think George's attraction to Lorraine is like his particular like I don't know what to do and I don't know how this works yeah. and she's not even looking at me was like a form of like queerness that I inherently understood mm -hmm. because as a kid and obviously I'm like a four-year-old child <laughs> and the scene where Marty sees his dad peeping on Lorraine which <laughs> obviously I don't Tom. yeah he's a peeping Tom 
which is not consensual and I'm not like cool with or whatever, but I would have to like, I used to figure out ways to leave the room for that scene because I, there was something in me that was like, oh, I'm not supposed to look at that. Right, right, yeah. I'm not supposed to be seeing that. And I, you know, people thought I was a girl, <laughs> you know? So it's mm -hmm. like, now, could that be like lesbianism? Maybe, I'm sure there's people who are lesbians who had the same experience. I now understand that it's like just something even more than that. Like it includes that. And it also is even more than that, that I'm like, Oh, I'm like a boy. And I, so boys aren't supposed to look at girls yeah. <laughs> that way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I, he is a peeping Tom. We're not supposed to do yeah. that. You know, it's just like, it's funny. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> I'm, I'm funny. grafting on to the, you know, better social construct that Marty is expressing mm -hmm. of like, boys don't spy right, on girls exactly. like that. That's wrong. Yeah. Like I would never do that. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and the thing I, I this touches on something that like the art, the art be the artist, and then like that gets to something I wanted to ask you about, and I and I was really grateful when I I read you sort of address it in in an interview about something entirely different, which is um the idea the the fact that queer people before they're even conscious of it necessarily like a thing that I mm -hmm. really like about this podcast and and when I when I get to talk to to queer folks who come on and speak with me is. I really do believe that queer kids are kind of like they're forced to be sort of creative geniuses from mm -hmm. the very start of their life because they're so often having to put themselves places. And this is something I think you said exactly see themselves in places where they're not. And mm -hmm. talking to people who get into filmmaking in the arts and, and creative fields like that's a practice you started from the very beginning of your life before you even knew it that you were like changing the story in your head consciously or subconsciously for how you need to know. I think that's an incredible thing that queer folks are just kind of conditioned to do. Whereas most people mm -hmm. or, 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 you know, gender normative, perhaps like not queer individuals might not necessarily get sure. that training as early on. And we're we yeah. kind of like have to be storytellers from the start if we want it to work out for us at all. I mean, a hundred percent. Well, here's the thing that is, that is like the ultimate human space is storytelling, right? So not to say that queer people are better storytellers sure. or anything like that. There is the argument to be said that the silver lining of being left mm -hmm. out is having to do more to mm -hmm. create, you know? And I, we are not even close, but I, I don't even know when that interview is from. Right. I think it's like 20, it was but, like 2018 or 2017. Sure. Even in that amount of time, the amount of entertainment that is available wow. with queerness in it is huge, huge. compared to even just then. Mm -hmm. And what I think that creates is it's not going to remove the thing you're talking mm -hmm. about. What it actually does is allows for not queer people to do that same yeah. thing <laughs> to go like, Oh wait, how do I, you know, because that's the thing is that it's not a binary. Mm -hmm. It's not, if you want to decenter, you know, cisgender hetero, white patriarchy which is not any one person yeah. it is an it is a, an institution that transcends everything we have if we want to actually decenter that then you have to imagine mm -hmm. that you have to imagine yeah. what that looks yeah. like and so to do that as like a white straight cisgender woman or man because we're talking about the binary in that situation once you begin to see yourselves in characters that are not like you at mm -hmm. all and then you see that character in you you see yourself in them and you feel them in you that's when that storytelling starts to begin for the people who have not had to do it 
That's a really, it's a really nice thought. Because <laughs> it's not just the, it's not a one way street, and it's not even a two way street. Yeah, that's the thing about, like, to me being, it, to, like. People, I think, still see me as like a non-binary person, which is a different kind of woman. And Mm -hmm. it's like, that's not it. (laughs) (laughs) For me, I'm a trans guy who who believes in a non-binary existence, which is that there's more than two ways Mm -hmm. of being, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just where I'm at now, as opposed to you know, a couple years ago, because a couple years ago, that would be pretty, ac- that could be accurate. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not, I get where you're coming from, but uh, <laughs> that's not where I'm coming from anymore. Yeah. You know? You're like, yeah, you're like, I passed through that stoplight. Like I, yeah, I was at that intersection right. and you're just like a couple stops behind me. Yeah, absolutely. Or we're just like in the same neighborhood, but we're not on the same street, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like growing and it's, it's expanding and everything, you know. Now, so yeah, I'm curious if it, like seeing this. So, cause I remember my first movie where I I realized that it wasn't it wasn't the girl or the boy on screen that was for me it was like probably both was Labyrinth Mm -hmm. and I was like Jennifer Connelly and David Bowie are are both creating a reaction in me and absolutely so now with with being so young when you saw this and and if you know was Mm -hmm. was Lorraine Baines that kind of was that like a hmm oh oh for sure (laughs) definitely and I mean I also like Jennifer I feel like is a bit of an object in that yeah. movie as opposed to like a fully formed character, mm-hmm. you know? And I think props to Elizabeth Shue for doing a Truly. lot with a little in the second That episode. was a, like, that was a, like I mean, Megan Fox movie. in a Transformers movie. I'm going to go on my own journey regardless of what's on this page. It's really so good. Yeah. Like, like what was written for her is so bad (laughs) and what she did with it periodically be unconscious jennifer (laughs) right exactly i mean wow you guys really you really did something (laughs) with this that could have been really bad yeah like you know there's some bad stuff but like it could have been really awful you know and it wasn't because you're having fun because you you were given something gossamer thin and you decided to make a whole wardrobe out of it and you made it, you know, like, which is just really cool. Like, I, yeah, I, I, I feel, and Leah Thompson does such a good job of playing like old Lorraine. Wow. Too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I, <don't, laughs> I mean, it's just like, yeah, it's incredible. But to circle back to that, like, I definitely think both Jennifer and Lorraine, I was just like, yes. <laughs> you know what yes. I mean? But like, you spend more time with Lorraine. So like, I had a huge crush on her. And I actually like ran into Leah Thompson on a plane (laughs) and like I because I saw her in the airport it was in San Francisco which is like kind of it's not a small airport but all the all the pieces of it are small and I remember seeing her and being like that's Leah Thompson like immediately knew it was her and then immediately was like ah maybe not and then we got on I got on the plane she sat down in her seat and then got up on like turned around and I was like holy shit That's it is Leah Thompson. And I was like, I'm not going to say anything because good God, you know, like she's with her kids and all that stuff. And like, you know, whatever. And then I like went to the bathroom and then I was coming back and I was in the aisle and she was going to the bathroom. So there was like no avoiding. I have had I have had those moments where it's like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to bother. him. I'm not. But then suddenly it's like, how have you been put in front of me six times now? Presented with the opportunity over and over again. It just keeps happening. Yeah, and she was so, first of all, she is a very tiny lady. <laughs> She's not very tall, which is, it makes a lot of sense because so, 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 yeah, yeah. Fox, you know, like, and he looked not bigger than her. A big guy. 
Um, and so we were like face to face and I was just like, I am a huge fan of your yeah. work. You know? yeah. Like I just, you know, whatever. And she was like, oh, that's so nice. What's your name? And I was going by my old name mm-hmm. then. And I told her and she was like, oh, wow, my name's Leah. That's really close. That's nice. And in that moment, I was like a four-year-old because I remember watching the credits and seeing that name and being like, wow, that's almost no my name. Way. <laughs> and like had that moment happen with that actual person. That's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> It was pretty funny and wild. And yeah, it's just, yeah, she was pretty, she was very cool. It was very nice. Well, on that precious note, we're going to take a quick break, but we will be right back with even more River Butcher. So stay with us. Hey there, I'm Ellen Weatherford. And I'm Christian Weatherford. And we've got big feelings about animals that we just got to share. On Just the Zoo of Us, your new favorite animal review podcast, we're here to critically evaluate how each animal excels and how it doesn't, rating them out of 10 on their effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. Guest experts give you their takes informed by actual, real-life experiences studying and working with very cool animals like sharks, cheetahs, and sea turtles. It's a field trip to the zoo for your ears. So if you or your kids have ever wondered if a pigeon can count, why sloths move so slow, or how a spider sees the world, find out with us every Wednesday on Just the Zoo of Us in its natural habitat on MaximumFun.org. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Somewhere between science and superstition, there is a podcast. Look, your daughter doesn't say she's a demon. She says she's the devil himself. That thing is not my daughter. And I want you to tell me there's a show where the hosts don't just report on French science and spirituality, but take part themselves. Well, there is, and it's Ono, Ross, and Carrie on Maximum Fun. This year, we actually became certified exorcists. So yes, Carrie and I can help your daughter. (laughs) Or we can just talk about it on the show. Ono, Ross, and Carrie on MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to Feeling Seen. I'm your host, Jordan Cruciola, and I'm here with the hilarious and insightful River Butcher, and we are talking about the 1985, of course, classic film, Back to the Future, in a way that there's a good chance it's never been talked about before. And I say that knowing that River has talked about this movie many times, so I am very excited to get back into it. Something I've noticed with beloved films from this era, um, that Mm -hmm. sort of like sort of Gen X or formative years era Um, movies like obviously Back to the Future here or something like Ghostbusters or really any movie that people have this intense nostalgia around sure is that there's often this reluctance to look at it in any new way or push back against any part of it at all and it becomes this sort of you know throw the baby out with the bathwater if you take if you analyze one part of it too critically you're condemning the entire thing and you know fuck you forever Mm -hmm. so i'm interested to hear your thoughts about this very complex and contentious at times relationships between um art and fandom uh and certain childhood stuff that just has this strangely untouchable almost sacred status with um, certain factions of very online fans. So <laughs> sure, I'd like yeah. to hear from you a little bit about that. Sure. And I mean, I think it makes sense 
to talk about a, a movie that's about time yeah. travel to talk about it as though it has no you know permanence yeah period. yeah <laughs> you know, like period that's the point of the idea of time travel mm -hmm. although time travel rests upon the idea that time is somehow a in existence throughout all time, you know, so right, I don't know, yeah. but I'm, I I used to get really into time travel. Now I'm just like, I need that brain space for other <laughs> yeah. shit. But like, so, uh, what's interesting to me, because you also brought up nostalgia. So I want to talk yeah, about yeah. that in regards to this movie. But um, I would say, and this is just my perspective on it, is that yes, art belongs to everybody. Mm. But I think the issue is that it, no one owns right, it. Right, right, right. You know, like, it depends that you can belong to everything. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like we all belong to everything. Mm -hmm. And it's just that this idea that um, this pervasive idea that, you know, is part of the structure of capitalism, of all yeah. these things, patriarchy, all these things is that there can be only yeah. one way and that you can own it. Yeah. You know, and you can't own anything. Mm -hmm. I don't own these like i'm borrowing all of this stuff and so once you realize once you let go of the illusion of ownership mm -hmm. everything just becomes a lot um more fun yeah. you know because you don't have to maintain any sort of idea or structure to your appreciation of mm -hmm. something you know like and then you can sort of get down with like oh this is what you like about it oh cool this is what i like about it as opposed to like this is what i like about it and if you don't you can go mm -hmm. to hell like yeah. you know it's like that's my way or the highway which is very just like capitalist hierarchical thinking mm -hmm. you know that like well if you present me with a different idea and i agree to that then i'm less than you <laughs> which is also like misogynist yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean like that's ultimately what those things are you know like they work with the same mechanisms and feelings and it's all rooted in fear mm -hmm. you know um and i would say that like back to the future is all rooted in fear too until it isn't right yeah you know especially the second two uh i keep calling them episodes which is just so funny <laughs> the second two movies that somehow out of no see because that's the other thing about back to the future is that in the first one like marty is very much you know he's a guy mm -hmm. let's put it that yeah. way let's use like a it's a gendered word but it's less like binary right he's a guy but he's also not like like when he, you know, when they're in the diner and stuff, he like stands up for his parents because he's a good person. Yeah. You know, he's not doing it to prove his masculinity. Whereas then in the second and third one, all of a sudden he doesn't want to be called a chicken. What did you call me, Griff? Chicken! McFly! Nobody calls me chicken you know like it's very weird and it's a very weird turn to me and it kind of takes away some of the stuff that we're talking about of marty that like he's reluctant to do that stuff because he wants his dad to yeah. do it so that his dad you know and it, there is a lot of like very sexist stuff in terms of like george needs to whatever but like that's also what lorraine is looking yeah. for you know and like that's also okay. You know, like, did he write that because she's a woman? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Does she play it like it's something she actually as a person yeah. wants? Yeah. <laughs> and like, that's a relatable thing for somebody to want someone to stand up for you. Like, that's a human thing. You know, it doesn't have to be a woman thing, even though it is in the context of the movie. So what is, you know, when you talk about like the thing... It's like, you know, the thing that I love about it, the thing that you love about it. What was what is like a quintessential Marty McFly moment where that intersects with River Butcher? 
I mean, I think that um I think that the moment that I was like yes is this the when he steals the skateboard when he like turns the thing into the skateboard and then is like skating around wow look at him go that thing he's on it's a board with wheels he's an absolute dream and i was just like yes (laughs) this is this is everything i ever want to do you know like uh he's already playing the guitar he was already skateboarding Mm -hmm. but now he's like legit skateboarding and he's in the 50s because like i also weirdly and i feel in some ways this relates to my transness is like i just never felt like i was in the right time like i loved it's a wonderful life when i was like <laughs> and i watched it in the summertime like i just always felt like i was of the wrong time you seeing know? your style just in glimpses as like a public figure sure. i feel like that aesthetic actually does make a, it would make a lot of sense it comes through yeah. yeah it makes sense i mean i was like raised by my grandparents also and oh, okay. from like you know the 20s and the 30s basically you know my grandfather was born in 1912 so like I just had that around me anyway, and then I just didn't feel, I I never felt like of the time that I was in when I was a kid, and so I feel like that moment, you know, was just like very much just this like adventure, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like, like, and also being like chased and I don't know, it's just, it's it's such a, it's such a huge cinematic moment too, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, But it just was so cool and fun and inventive, you know, that I feel like that was it. But I also feel so much like when Lorraine tracks him down and is like flirting with him. And like, I relate to that so much because it's like, yes, it's clearly weird because it's his mom. Yeah. yeah. But like, let's set that aside for a moment. (laughs) Go like table that. I felt I felt his discomfort with that (sighs) because at that moment for me, as a kid, if that would have happened, I wouldn't have known what to do because I would have felt like something wrong was happening, which is how he felt, you know, like, but I wanted that, you know, like I wanted, and, and, you know, I have an expansive experience of my queerness, but like my experience of life was very binary as a kid because it's, that's what you're presented with. Marty, why are you so nervous? Rain, have you ever... Uh, been in a situation where you knew you had to act a certain way, but when you got there, you didn't know if you could go through with it. Oh, you mean like how you're supposed to act on a first date? Oh, uh, sort of. So, like, if that happened, if a girl like that did that to me, I would feel the same way that Marty yeah, did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, in that, like, this shouldn't be something, this is wrong, and this shouldn't be happening, and you don't know why, but I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and like... <laughs> I do. You know, and I know that this is wrong. And it's like, oh, that was my own. It was like I was watching my own internalized homophobia Mm -hmm. and transphobia play out through this weird, like, (laughs) mother-son time travel thing. But it really, it's like, oh, that's what that was. That's what I was feeling is that, like, something in me is wrong in the external Mm -hmm. world. And it was playing out on screen for me. And I was going like, I don't know what this is, you know? (laughs) Uh, Which is just wild. It's wild to think about. That fits under a category of things that I I try to bring up whenever I can on on, in conversations with the the podcast is like those moments where it's like the, oh no, where like (laughs) it's the moment of recognition, but not (laughs) the welcome kind. We were like, oh, skewered on that one. (laughs) Everything's different now. I can't unknow what yeah. I've just Uh-oh. been shown. Uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> Fast forward to 33 years later. <laughs> yeah. you know? You're probably wondering how I ended up in a situation like <laughs> That's this. That's right. Talk about time travel. Anyway. <laughs> 
Well, it like what is you know with something being so you know this is like a long term relationship in your life. This movie and yeah, dude, and obviously yeah. throughout like you know as one grows and change, you you th- different things about the things uh, the art we appreciate stick to us or things arise out of it. Like mm-hmm. oh my god, I wasn't even looking at that fifteen years ago. What do yeah. you find has been like the lasting impact of having Marty and George McFly with you for so long? Hmm. I mean, it does just feel like these long-term friendships that they've just like been around and then when I see like even just those actors Mm -hmm. it's like I feel like I know them Mm -hmm. you know like I don't at all it's also funny because those characters have been such a big part of my Mm -hmm. life and similar to baseball like we were talking about earlier the love of that movie and those characters and the relationship with those characters Mm -hmm. has afforded me other relationships Mm -hmm. you know it's like it's this connection to other people who also like have their own experience of those characters and have, you know, in ways and different ways and different experiences felt similar to me in that I relate to this person. I feel like I was a huge Back to the Future fan in Indiana Jones and everybody else is into Star Wars, (laughs) Star Wars and Ghostbusters. So it's like anybody that you can find that's like, I don't want to say genuinely because that that also creates like a gatekeeping thing, but, but is like, um, romantically into yeah, Back to the Future yeah. the same way other people are with Star Wars, which I respect. It just doesn't do it for me the same way. Yeah. Then you have that kinship with those people, those actual real people that you get to experience, you know? And I think in some ways uh, I've gotten to be my own Marty McFly and my own George McFly in that pretending as though two and three are not existing, you know, to ha- to like sort of make the changes in yourself to be the person that you want to be, you know, to to be, have the relationships in, in your life that you want to be in and and be the person in those relationships that you want to be, you know, because I would also say like Marty was like uh, desiring these things, you know, like he really wanted this truck and he really wanted all this yeah. stuff. And like he was still a good kid ultimately, you know, and like he ended up getting those things and that wasn't he just wanted to get back home. Yeah. You know, like he just wanted to get back to where his life was, you know, and ultimately that's what I've done is that I just wanted to get back to my life, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and the things that come to you after that are just like blessings honestly on top of that so to you know the the toyota four by four is like a very materialistic (laughs) idea of but he also just like has this life and is surrounded by people who love themselves Mm -hmm. and that's what was missing before right yeah (laughs) that's what was missing at the beginning is like they did not love themselves enough to love each other you know and that's the ending of that movie to me and then it becomes very codependent where Doc's like, well, now we got to help these other people. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, maybe maybe things are supposed to happen for a reason and we just like let it go. <laughs> Doc's, Doc's got an agenda and Marty's just happy That's right. living his truth. <laughs> yeah. There was, I, I the last thing I wanted to, to bring up as we come to time is that just a, in another, and I think that's, to me, this connects to like the way you know, you can queer anything, anything, mm-hmm. even no matter like how heteronormative its origins can belong to any person. Mm-hmm. Like a, a friend of mine loved the I Know What You Did Last Summer TV show. And mm. we are convinced that every fiber of that show is gay into its yeah. very DNA. Yeah. And we don't we don't know the specifics of the people who read it. But we're like, oh, this is queer horror. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. every moment yeah. of this is queer. 
And just the freedom and the joy of being able to decide that in a thing that you said in an interview that I read where I'm a, I am identify as panromantic gray asexual. And so mm-hmm. relationships and intimacy and companionship look different for me than I found most people that I know in my life. And you you said something in, a, in a, an interview where you said that queerness is not just a thing that is determined by a relationship. Oh, yeah. And I really valued that. <laughs> because we do view things so binarily as Uh sexual and non-sexual like the ultimate way of knowing a person is through a sexual relationship the ultimate classification of relationship a codification of somebody as like your primary companion is through sexual connection with them and that's not how i experience the world and Mm -hmm. so to to just hear a person say something like that queerness is not defined by a relationship um really made me happy because it was (laughs) just like no the queerness is there the queerness exists regardless of the relationship you keep with it, it is who you are and it is what you bring to a space and it's how you read and filter things. And I love that from the idea of like personal relationships that we have to interpersonal relationships to the relationships we have with movies. And I really appreciated yeah. you saying that. Yeah, dude. Happy to say it. It really, <laughs> I, when I, whoever said it to me, it, it really helped me out, you know? Yeah. Like we, you know, obviously we have an assumption of heterosexuality in our cis normative all the thing right that's all the the hyphenates so if you can base that assumption on someone not being in a heterosexual relationship then you can absolutely be queer without being in a relationship being sexual being whatever you are queer if you are queer (laughs) that's it (laughs) and it's not anybody else's decision than uh than yours you know or yeah decision to state that you know what i mean like mm-hmm. it doesn't it's coming from inside the house it's not an <laughs> external validation you know and 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 back to the future can be queer if you are queer yeah dude if- <laughs> whatever whatever is whatever whatever you need it and want it to be i mean i think about facts of life all the time <laughs> With, like I joe and blair you like talking about that on a podcast yeah and i loved in my head i started because everything started being patterns i was like I love the I love the the visibility both for River of like connecting with Joe showing up as like the cute stranger yeah. on the motorcycle that all the girls wanted and then they, Michael they J. All Fox. Thought he was a, she was a boy when she showed up. They're like exactly this hot guy and or then whatever. Michael J. Fox shows up as Marty McFly as the cute stranger that all the yeah, girls are wondering I about. I I liked that as a through line in those I, two I, things. I love to be con- context free. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> knows where I came from. But yeah, I, those two actors, you know, like they've said many times and I think it was maybe difficult for the actor that played Joe too too. I think it was probably difficult. Um but like you know they they're like no they weren't gay da, 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 da. I'm like yeah no I hear you but I'm also watching you guys and what I'm <laughs> what we're saying is it's there. Like whether yeah. you are aware of it or not, it's totally there. And like it's just a queer relationship. You know like you guys don't have to be queer but the yeah. relationship, the relating <laughs> yeah. that you're doing to each other is very queer and like mm-hmm. that's cool you don't have to nothing's wrong everything's good you yeah. don't need to change anything and like also you don't even have to accept it but <laughs> it's totally there because it's totally there and it's awesome like i guess yeah. for me i'm just like people are getting there where i mm-hmm. think that i've i've heard heard so many actors that we're not working in ni- 1982 mm-hmm. say like yeah these characters are not gay but like the fact that people are seeing queerness in this relationship is really awesome to me as an actor because it means I'm doing my job or whatever. And so like we're living in a time where more often than not, people are very open to the interpretations of their audiences. And Mm -hmm. like, I think as, as an actor myself, I'm like, I dude, 
I want you to look in. I want you to find more in this than I'm bringing to it. Cause like that makes my job more fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, that makes the, the, the thing more interesting. If you can find more in it than was intended. Like, isn't that what art is supposed to be? Like, it's right. not a blueprint, mm-hmm. you know, like it's not, it's not a math equation that we just like walk from point A to point B and then we leave and we go, okay, that was exactly what I thought it was going to be. You know, like <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have, I have, I believe I've kept you past time. So oh, I will, I've had a great time. I will wind us down, but, but just, I thank you for being so generous yeah, with your thanks time for having me. And in this conversation. I so appreciate people coming on to talk about this because I, I find it so fun and I find it important and I really yeah, appreciate cool. you being game to get into it with me. Oh yeah, for sure. I, and I'm happy to talk about something uh, that I've talked about a bunch of times <laughs> and find new things in it. You know, that's what, that's ultimately like what I love about that movie is even though, you know, there's things that I don't like in it yeah. <laughs> and like being allowed to be allowing myself to not like things and still like yep. it is like important, I think for me and for art and these things that we like to grow with us is like just a fun thing. And to get to share it is really cool, you know, cause everybody, then you get to experience it. It grows, mm-hmm. you know, it grows and changes. And, and so is there anything you would like to remind us about before we <laughs> depart today, River? Uh, I mean, probably just the Comedy Central special, like check that mm-hmm. out, filmed that like right before Delta hit, okay. really. It was a pretty wild thing <laughs> to, to do, honestly. Mm-hmm. Can't believe uh, it made it. And uh, I hope people watch it and like it. Um, I'm really stoked that I got to do it and it's a lot of fun and I already look super different. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like pretty funny. I filmed it when I was going by RB and then I changed my name like after that. And so it's like a real fun, like, I don't know. I'm just like, I'm really trying to welcome the public transition of it all. Right. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, this is going to, so somebody's, this is going to help somebody. Like my facial hair is wacky. My voice has been different, <laughs> <laughs> but whatever. Like it's just the experience, you know? So, so yeah, everybody uh, watch the fabulous timeline of River Butcher, most recent <laughs> installment in a different kind of dude and river thank you so much for joining us today thank you so much for having me so much fun to talk back to the future with you i hope you guys enjoyed that conversation that conversation about back to the future and that conversation about conversations as much as I did. Uh, We covered a lot of ground today, but don't worry, there is still time for one quick thing before I go because I talk quickly. Guys, who out there is watching Euphoria? Who out there is putting themselves through anguish with these teens week after week watching Euphoria? I I delayed starting it for a couple weeks because I was like, can I put myself through this? Can I bear to see Jules cry? because Rue is fucking shit up? The answer is no, I cannot. But I have begun season two anyway because I can no longer be left out of the conversation. This is like, I feel like right now that you, like you guys are like reading, if I kept a diary, you'd be reading my diary entry on Euphoria where I'm just like, oh my God, somebody please hold Cassie and tell her it's going to be okay and stop her from dating. Somebody please tell Maddie she can't get back together with Nate Jacobs. Like I want to be the guidance counselor at Euphoria High who, fuck it, I don't know, put all these kids in, like little jail cells to stop them from hurting themselves. Like somebody go and like take Gia out for ice cream and tell her that her older sister's problems are not her fault. I'm just upset all the time. Can't Cassie and Lexi bond and be sisters and support each other? 
Of course, I have all of my hopes and dreams for the characters finding any kind of emotional solace and not just be constantly, mercilessly beat down by the terrifying world that is the show. But like a specific thing that we don't get a ton of in this teen show, it feels like it's just teens hanging out being teens. And there is a great scene in episode three where you get kind of all the core girls in the girls' bathroom together. And Cassie, Sydney Sweeney's character, is she is truly dressed like she's trying out for the school play, Oklahoma. And so when everybody's like, why are you dressed like you're trying out from Oklahoma? She has like a full scale internal meltdown. And it's just this excellent excellent round of banter between all of these you know essentially fake high schoolers having a moment that is just so high school where you know the fun of high school shows dramas comedies and whatnot is that the biggest things can feel like the end of the world it can feel like the apocalypse if you wore uh, the same outfit to school as somebody that you didn't mean to and maybe you just had a bad day and the school didn't have your snack left in the vending machine so you break down in a sob in the hallway Yes, horrible, horrible things are going to keep happening in Euphoria. Like, people are going to get assaulted by drug dealers. Uh, dads are going to have confrontations with their sons about them having sex with the same high school girl. There's going to be inappropriate power dynamics in romantic relationships constantly. Like, we're we are going to be drug over the coals by this show in extravagantly upsetting situations constantly. But I wish it would do a little, just a little bit more of the little tiny things becoming gigantic deals to a bunch of teenagers because that too happens among high schoolers. I'm not counting out the ubiquity of catastrophic depression and like world ending parties among teens. Valid, valid. But my my one wish for Euphoria is that we get to have more of these ensemble scenes where these incredible actors like Barbie Ferrara, Alexa Demi, Zendaya, Hunter Schaefer, Sydney Sweeney, um, Maude Apatow, that, that we get to see them all just playing off each other and showing us the pre-established relationships that kids have when they've been going to school together forever since grade school and have really long-standing relationships. That is my one request for Euphoria because I know it's never going to stop hurting my feelings. I know it's never going to stop torturing me. I know I'm never going to stop worrying. So I wish we would just get a little bit more teens being ridiculous teens in, in the most banal ways. So that's my one quick thing before I go. And that is our show. You can follow us on Twitter at Feeling Scene Pod or join our Facebook group at www.facebook.com slash groups slash Feeling Scene Pod. You can also send us an email at feelingscene at maximumfun.org. If you want to follow me, I am Jor Crew on Twitter. That's J-O-R-C-R-U. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. Our show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. And our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher. This has been a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.